And I'll just remind you all, uh, the reason we do that, we take this time to like say hello to the people around us, is to remind each other and live into the reality that this really is a community. It's easy to talk about being a community, but in order for that to become a reality, we have to literally get to know the people around us, and this is one of the times that that happens. It's not the only time, right? Our hope is that as a church, that spills out into our day-to-day -day lives in all kinds of different ways, but that's a way that we get to practice it uh, here together. So if that is awkward for you, and you just gotta have to expect it every week, okay? So I guess you can plan to come like 15 minutes late and maybe you'll miss it, but it's a thing that we do here, and, uh, and, and I love it. Uh, so guys, we are here in this season uh, that the church for a long time has called Advent. And it's a season of waiting, of looking forward to Christmas. And that, that waiting, uh, it trains us for the day-to-day -day waiting that is the normal part of the Christian life. Because all of us are living in between uh, two Advents, or between the two comings of Jesus. That Jesus came once at Christmas, and he promised us that he's coming again. We talk about that when we go through the Apostles' Creed, right? He's coming again to judge the living and the dead. He's coming to bring a new heavens and a new earth like we studied this fall as we read through the book of Revelation. And so uh, as Christians, we look back to the first coming of Christ, but we also look forward in hope for what's to come. And hope, it's a marker of the Christian life. It's also a key part of just being a human in the world. There's this doctor, Dr. Paul Kalanithi, who in his memoir, When Breath Becomes Air, discusses what he's learned about delivering a cancer diagnosis. And he says, it's important to be accurate, but you must always leave some room for hope. He recognized that patients facing an implacable enemy like cancer must be fortified by hope, by a vision of the future that includes the possibility of good or of joy. And then... Paul, Dr. Kalanithi, he received his own cancer diagnosis. And he was suddenly engaged in his own fight for hope. He talks about it in that memoir. And he describes the feeling of hopelessness that sat on him. And he says it like this. He says, the monolithic uncertainty of my future was deadening. Everywhere I turned, the shadow of, of death obscured the meaning of any action. It's hopelessness. Then he goes on and he says, I remember the moment when my overwhelming unease yielded, when that seemingly impassable sea of uncertainty parted. I woke up in pain facing another day. No project beyond breakfast seemed tenable. I can't go on, I thought. And immediately its antiphone responded, completing Samuel Beckett's seven words, words I had learned long ago as an undergraduate, I'll go on. I got out of bed and took a step forward, repeating the phrase over and over, I can't go on, I'll go on. And he did. He became a father. He returned to the operating room. He graduated from his neurosurgery program, and he wrote a book, all within the less than two years that he lived after his diagnosis. He found some measure of hope, and that changed everything for him. It was hope for a certain kind of future that led him into medicine, into investing years of his life into the rigorous training it takes to become a neurosurgeon. And it was that hope that guided him in those last two years to fill up his life with life. All of that to say, hope matters. 
Hope changes how we live. It changes the choices that we make, and it changes, it determines the texture and the tenor of our day-to-day lives, doesn't it? So what are you hoping in? Where is your hope? Is it solid? Is it certain? Because it can be. And by developing that kind of hope, growing that kind of hope, it, it takes us honestly wrestling with reality. And that's what we're going to be doing here this morning. Honestly wrestling with reality and reality as it is presented to us and explained to us through the scriptures, through the word of God. And what we're going to find as we do that is that there is a certain hope, a sure hope that we can hold on to in the midst of a very hard and broken and sad world. So in the passage that we're reading this morning, we're going to see that a hopeful heart is hungry, that a hopeful heart is humble, and that a hopeful heart is whole. So I'm going to invite Brandon, Brandon Coughlin, to come up. Brandon's going to read our scripture for us this morning. Uh, I should have called him up here earlier. It's going to take us a hot minute. Okay, so just to review, if you're a, note, if you're a note-taking person, okay, those are the, the, the three points, that a hopeful heart is hungry, that a hopeful heart is humble, and that a hopeful heart is whole. So we're going to be reading through Luke 1, chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up there. It will also be uh, on the screen behind us. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed for, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their own hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Pray with me. Father, we are thankful for your word. Uh, And Lord, just confess this morning that uh, it's so easy to treat our time together, our time with you as this place that we come to, to a show that we receive, uh, that we watch happen. Uh, And Jesus, we, would you remind me and remind us through your Holy Spirit that that is not what is happening this morning that you are here through your spirit, that you're working and that you uh, are changing us. God, pray that as we open your word, as we uh, dive into what it means and what you're speaking to us through it, uh, just ask and trust, Lord, that you will do that, that you'll meet with us and that you'll change us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So a hopeful heart is a hungry heart. And uh, let's just talk for a minute about Mary in this passage that Mary is clearly full of joy, that she can't help but burst into song. It's as if Mary's life is a musical, right? 
did you guys, this is kind of date me a little bit, but do you guys remember 500 Days of Summer? Where like J- J- Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Jason Gordon-Levitt? Joseph, yeah, yeah. He's like walking through the park, right? He's so in love, he's so happy, and he just bursts out in song, right? That's kind of what it feels like with Mary here, that she is so overcome with the joy of what God is doing in her and through her that she bursts out into song. Her cousin Elizabeth, who is pregnant with John the Baptist, right, and is really old and like that's miraculous by itself, she comes out to meet Mary, she, she prophesies over Mary, and Mary responds in song, because she is so full of joy, this deep, rich, abundant joy that she's tasting, that she's seeing, that she's experiencing. It's a deep, unbridled happiness. And sometimes Christians make a big deal about the difference between joy and happiness. Guys, that is not necessary, okay? Joy is happiness. It's a deep, abiding sense of happiness. Do you want that in your life? Oh, guys, okay, you are awake this morning. That was, I was expecting to have to ask a few more questions before we got there. Yes, of course we want that, right? The kind of joy that, that is deep and overflowing, the kind of joy that others look at and they see your life and they say, whoa, that person's life is marked by joy. Something has happened to them. They're clearly favored because of the joy that they experience in their life. Do you want that kind of, that kind of life, that kind of joy? You can say it out loud again. Yes, okay, of course. That we all long for joy in our lives. We want a joy that we can taste and see and experience. A goodness and a beauty that marks our lives. Friends, that's hope. A longing for good for for ourselves, a longing for joy in the future. And that kind of hope, it's a hunger This passage speaks about it in verse 35. He has filled the hungry with good things. That that desire that we experience for goodness in our lives, the desire for joy, it's a hunger. And this passage speaks, God speaks a benediction, a blessing, an affirmation over our desire for joy. God looks at it and he says, that's good because he's filled the hungry with good things. Is that surprising to you? To hear that God blesses uh, your desire? That God looks at your hunger for goodness and for joy in your life and he says yes to it? Does that surprise you? I don't know. I guess we're kind of awake this morning. Everyone's falling back asleep. Okay, kind of yes and no, right? If you've been around church for a while, like, well, like, technically, yes. But the way that we often experience God and the way that God is talked about in our world, it's as, it's as if God is the cosmic hall monitor. And that whenever, one, whenever anyone is having too much fun in the halls, it's God's job to be like, hey, cut it out. Right? That's how we often think about God. He's the kid in the back of the class that when the teacher leaves the spelling words on the board, he's the one that says, uh, the spelling words are on the board. Right? He's the one who's like cutting off all of our freebies. That's often how God is portrayed in our world. There's this song by Bleachers, which I'm a big fan of. Okay, okay there we go, yes. Uh, the song is called How Dare You Want More. These steps of faith, I can't imagine it. Pack up my suitcase till I can't bear it. Who am I without this weight on my shoulder? Oh God, I'm dying to know. Someone crying out, oh, the heaviness of life is so, it's just, it's weighing me down. I want to get out from under it. And the chorus is, but how dare you want more? How dare you want more? Preacher, preacher is calling from the floor. That 
the guy who wrote this song, Jack something, okay? He is so confident that that is our perception of God, that God is the one who is always fighting against our joy, that he can say it. It's the preacher who's saying, how dare you want more? It's religion saying, how dare you want more? It's God saying, how dare you want more? But guys, nothing could be further from the truth. The hungry he has filled with good things. No, God blesses that desire. God is not the one dampening our desire. God's not the one shutting it down. We are. We are the ones who push down our desire because, friends, to be hungry, to have hope, is to hurt. Hunger uh, is an ache inside of us. It's a longing for a space that is unfilled. And that's hard to experience, isn't it? You guys know you experience it all the time. We experience it all the time. And you remember when you were a kid and you would wake up and you would tell your parents, my stomach hurts? And they would say, well, does it hurt? Or are you just hungry? Right? Because they feel pretty similar. Are you sick or are you just hungry? It takes a long time to be able to figure out the line between those two things. And often what happens in our lives is when we experience the pain of hoping that we think something is wrong, I'm sick, I've got to do something about it, I've got to get rid of it, I've got to push it down and dampen that desire. God isn't doing it to us, we do it to ourselves. We medicate it, we numb it, we entertain ourselves out of it. C.S. Lewis says this in his sermon called The Weight of Glory. He says, indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So we deaden our hearts and we settle for lesser things because to desire, to hunger for something more is too painful. But there's another way we cope with that ache inside of us and it's by creating metaphysical fantasies. It's the cotton candy optimism that so easily covers what we call faith. That we believe that we are far more in control of our lives than we actually are. You can call it karma or crystals, positivity or prosperity gospel, but we shut our eyes to reality and try to convince ourselves that because we want something bad enough, we're guaranteed to get it. And we call that hope. Friends, that is not hope. That's wishful thinking. And so we live in this conundrum that, that we have this deep desire for joy in our lives and, let we, and yet we live in a world that we know is harsh and sad, a world where we often do not get what we want. How are we supposed to have hope in the midst of that kind of reality? Mary does. We see it in verses 51 through 54 of this passage. Uh, commentators, the, the word they use here is that Mary is speaking in the prophetic aorist, which is just a very complicated way of saying Mary is speaking about the future in the past tense. 
that Mary is so confident about what God is gonna do through this child she is carrying. Mary's so confident about what he's gonna do in the future through this baby that she talks about the future as if it has already happened. Because her confidence in what God is doing is so sure. In fact, what she's doing is she's imagining the joy that she will have in the future when God fulfills his promises and she's borrowing from that joy and she's pulling it into the future. So she is rejoicing in the present about what God has already done in and through her, but she's also rejoicing in the knowledge of what he will do in the future. She's rejoicing in hope. That is a, that's a certainty that we crave, isn't it? And it's a certainty, it's a certain hope that is actually available to us. And what Mary would tell us, what Mary shows us here, what God's word shows us about Mary is that that kind of hope starts with humility. That humility is in a sense the, the prereq for that kind of hope. A hopeful heart is a humble heart. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. But you get a sense in these verses of Mary's picture of God, that God is so much bigger, so much mightier than Mary, that Mary sees herself as small before God. There's God's greatness and Mary's humility that is a prerequisite for hope. And to kind of get into Mary's mind, to be able to understand that humility, to be able to embrace it for ourselves, we first have to acknowledge that the God that Mary worships, that God is. I know that doesn't sound very profound, okay, but it matters that God is. Because the way that we often talk about God uh, is in a very kind of academic, detached way. Well, I believe God exists. You don't believe God exists. Some days I struggle to believe God exists. Is that ever you? Kind of racked by doubt? Of course, welcome to the club. But the way that we talk, it, it often seems like we are giving God permission to exist by believing in him. And that how much we believe in him on any given day kind of affects his ability to be God. It's like Elf. Have any of you seen that movie? Yes, okay, great. Uh, that at the end of Elf, Santa can't get his sleigh into the air because not enough people believe in him. Right? That's kind of how we think about God sometimes. Like, we may know that's not true, but that's how we approach him. They're like, well, if I don't believe in God enough, he's not really going to have the, you know, like the juice that he needs to get done what he needs to get done. As if God is like wringing his hands. He's like, oh, I don't know if enough people believe in me anymore. Guys, that's not God. God is he is and he was and he is to come. And to the degree that we do or do not believe in him, it doesn't affect him at all, but he still is. He's absolute. And because he is, because he was before all things and all things were created by him and through him, whatever, that's a lot to, to think about, but that's true. Which means that everything and all of creation only exists in relationship to him. That God is the absolute and we are the ones who are contingent. <laughs> People come and go, dust to dust. Leaders come and go, dust to dust. Countries come and go, dust to dust. Ideologies, ways of thinking and approaching the world, philosophies come and go, dust to dust. Empires come and go, dust to dust. Civilizations come and go, but God is, he was, and he is to come. He will be. It begins to humble us, right? Right? 
And this God who exists, the God who is, he is knowable. And to know God means to know him as he is, as he has revealed himself to us. And guys, this is where this starts to get challenging for us because the way that we talk and live is, well, I have my idea about God and you have your idea about God and let's not talk about the differences between those things because that's hard. And like, it creates conflict and it's very uncomfortable. That's real. I get to live it all the time as a pastor because I say I'm a pastor and people are like, oh, great. Now I like want to push and pull with you on that. It's hard. And so we, we prefer to just live in this God is whoever we want him to be. But I will tell you, when I got married, I had to realize that doesn't work because now my driver's license says that I am 5'8", and before it said I was 5'9". Because before, I could just say it and no one said anything. But then my wife looked at it and she said, that's not true. <laughs> and I was like, well, I mean, it's like mostly true, right? I'd like 5'8 and a little bit. And she was like, yeah, that little bit does not round up to nine. <laughs> that she was <laughs> savage, right? But true, but true. Uh, because I, I am me. That there's ways of describing me that are accurate and there are ways of describing me that are inaccurate. And that's true about God. There are ways of describing God that are true to who he is and ways of describing him that aren't. So we've got to look at the scriptures and ask God, who have you revealed yourself to be? And the God who reveals himself in this passage is a God who is mighty, a God who is strong, a God who is to be feared. And not feared like spooky, like a, like a jump out and get you like a Halloween kind of fear. Fear like a reverence and an awe for the bigness of who he is. Because when Mary calls God Lord, what she is acknowledging is that God is king over all he has made. That's God. And before that God, we're small. Mary confesses herself to be humble and she's saying that she's humble not only because of her circumstances but because she knows herself truly as a human to be small before the bigness and, and majesty of God. But remember, we're talking about hope. And that by itself, that God is and that he's mighty and that he's powerful and that he's strong and that he is to be feared, it doesn't necessarily give us grounds for hope because it's possible that that God could exist but that God could have no care for our desires. But Mary doesn't stop there. She says in verse 50, his mercy is for those who fear him. Those who are able to see that God is so much bigger than they are, who are to know God rightly, God has mercy for those people. And that word mercy, here in Luke, is in Greek, okay? But if you were to take that Greek and put it into the Hebrew form of that word, the word there would be hesed, which means covenant love. And Mary pulls on that idea in verses 54 and 55, that the God of the scriptures is a God of covenant love. This mighty, all-powerful king of the cosmos is a God who loves. And we take that for granted. We talk about that like that's an obvious thing. Friends, that is not obvious. There are plenty of people throughout space and time who have believed in God and who have not believed that God is loving. The fact that we accept that so readily is a mark on our culture of the influence of Christianity on us because it is this God, the God of the scriptures, who is a loving God and loves his people so much that he would condescend to make promises to them that are based not on who they are but on who he is. That's a covenant-making God, a God who makes promises that are not dependent on who you are or your goodness, but are based on him and who he is and his goodness. That is the God of the scriptures.
That's a God we can hope in. A God who keeps his promises because he delights to keep his promises because he was free to make them or not make them in the first place, but he made them because of his love for his people. He said, I'm gonna come for you. I'm gonna save you. I'm gonna bring you back to myself. That's what Mary is talking about, what she's singing about in verses 54 and 55. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, of his covenant love, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is a sure ground for our hope. Our hope is in God and the, and the promises that he has made. And what has he promised you? Because when you are in Christ, man, God has made so many promises to you. He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said to you, you are never alone. That even in the depths of the suffering in your life that no one else can understand because you can't even put it into words, even there, God is with you and you are not alone. He's promised you power. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That he's working in and through you. He's promised you perspective or his wisdom. He says that in James. Oh, when you lack wisdom, ask because God gives his wisdom generously. He promises peace. He promises a future with him in a new heavens and a new earth. He promises us that death does not have the last word. That, those are the promises of God. And they go on and on and on and on. And friends, the call for us in having this certain hope is to put our hope in what we know is true, which are God, God's promises, rather than in the things we want to be true, like this list that we have for God of what he has to do for us for us to be happy. And it's easy to talk about that list uh, in a way that makes it, is dismissive. But guys, the things that we have on our list for God are near and dear to our hearts, aren't they? So often they are really good desires. So good that we can't understand, God, why would you not give me this really good thing? But guys, the, the honest reality is that God has promised that he will fulfill his promises, not that he will give us the things that, that we would like him to give us, no matter how good they are. Okay, now I'm gonna uncover this because I think this is gonna help us understand what I'm talking about, okay? Ooh, not very exciting. Okay, this is a strainer. This is what it is like when we put our hope uh, in our circumstances. Don't worry, I brought towels. We've got to put our hope in something. We all have it. We all have hope. The question is, what are you going to put it in? And when you put it in your circumstances, in God doing what you're, what you're wanting him to do, it's just like this. It runs in and it runs out. It may hold for a little bit longer than this colander does. But over time, that's what happens. The invitation for us is that we would put our hope in something that can hold it. And the promises of God. But guys, we have a lot more, we have a lot more hope than this. Okay, just 
by way of contrast, okay? I want you to picture this as God's promises. It can hold a lot more hope. It's so much bigger than we can think or ask or imagine is that what Ephesians says. And the hope that we can pour into it, guys, the hope can just pour, okay? This is what God is asking us to do, is to take all of our hope and to just keep pouring, not into our circumstances, but into him and into his promises for us. This pot is way bigger than I thought. I could have filled up like five of these. That's amazing. Okay, that, do you get it? This is where we're putting our hope, okay? And the, one of the ways we live out of this, well, this is where we get to the last point. A, a hopeful heart is a whole heart. Uh, I'm gonna use a silly example because talking about specific really hard examples is really hard. And we've done quite a bit of that the last few weeks. And I know Guys, looking at your, just knowing some of your stories, uh, how much you have walked with God through the pain of this. It's not silly. It's so hard. And it's so hard and so sad uh, when it doesn't happen. And have also heard so many of you testify to what it looks like when you, when you put your hope in here in the promises of God, even in the midst of things that are really hard and really sad. Because the reality is, is that we're pouring back and forth all the time. And the invitation is that we would begin to practice as a people what it means to pour our hope in here. Okay, so can I give you my silly example? Last week, I, I lost two jackets here. How do you do that, right? I like wore a jacket, and then someone brought me a jacket that I left at their house, and I left both of those jackets here and went home without any jackets. Okay, I really hope that I'm going to find my jackets. Like, I really want that to happen. But the way I, what I say is I really hope that I'm going to find them. You know what I'm talking about? We use that word hope. It's so, so easy, so flippant in a sense. We've talked about it a few weeks ago. We've got wishes, we've got expectations, and we've got plans, and we just use the same word hope for all of them. I hope I find my jackets. But here's what's really going on in my heart, if I'm being honest with myself, is that I'm sad. Because I got those for Christmas, and I really like them, and they fit a very specific niche in my wardrobe, okay? I'm sad. I am. I'm sad about not having my jackets. I'm also angry and, like, a little bit afraid. I'm angry at myself for being so stupid that I would do that again. You ever talk to yourself like that? Of course I would do that. And you hear the shame there? And that what I don't want to happen is to have to tell people who bought me those jackets why I don't have them? that you would know that I lost my jackets, but I just told you, so okay, we're doing it. <laughs> the shame of that? Okay, finding my jackets doesn't deal with any of those things. Here's where my hope is, and I, was, I had to literally stop and tell myself this, and help, prepping for the sermon was so helpful. My hope is in Jesus. And because my hope is in Jesus, it means that the shame that I'm gonna experience if I don't find those jackets does not have power over me and does not get to tell me who I am. It's been defeated. Okay. And it means all of the anger that I feel at myself, I can let it go. The fear of, am I going to have jackets? It's like, God, he's going to figure it out. And the sadness of like not being able to have these things that I really want, he's going to be with me in them. Like he's with me in the sadness of it. Do you get how that works? 
There's a discipline there in the way that we speak and the way that we think. And what I'm going to challenge you with, even for the next like two weeks as we enter this stretch of the Christmas season that is full of hopes, that is full of wishes and expectations and plans, that as we enter that season, would you just take some time to acknowledge what your wishes and expectations and plans are? Or you also talked about your needs, your wants, your desires. Would you acknowledge them? And for a lot of us, that's hard to do, that we've spent so long numbing ourselves to what is actually happening in our hearts that we don't know what it's like to feel hungry anymore. And part of the discipline of following Jesus is being willing to admit to yourself and to the people around you how deep your desires are. Would you do it? And then would you discipline those wants, those needs, those expectations, those desires with the language and the reality of Scripture, which is that our hope is somewhere else? Would you call those desires what they are and then would you remind yourself where your hope is? My hope is in God. It is in his promises. And this is what that means for those wants, wishes, plans, expectations, desires. Are you with me? That's coming to God with a whole heart that acknowledges both the depth and the ache of the desires that we have and also God's promise to show up in the midst of them, whether or not they're answered, whether or not we're given what we want. So here's what we're gonna do. Uh, We're gonna do our daily examine together, which is this spiritual practice we've been practicing as a congregation for the last few weeks. I'm gonna invite the band to come up so they can come up, they're gonna play uh, in just a minute. And remember, what we're doing when we practice the daily exam, and if you've never been here, if this is your first time, is maybe kind of weird, but just I'm going to ask you to do it with us anyway, okay? That uh, this is a way of, of reminding ourselves of the presence of God with us in our lives, and then reminding ourselves that he's with us moving forward, because that's the way that we take hold of this hope that has taken hold of us. So in a second, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to invite you to kind of quiet your mind and your body. Then I'm going to pray for us and acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is here with us. And then I'm going to ask you, give you a chance to review your last day, or you could do the last week if you want to, and to ask God to show you uh, where were you aware of his presence. And then ask, what was that like for you? And then ask, where were there places in your day or in your life that you were ignoring God? That you were pushing him away? And would you repent of those things and say, God, I'm sorry for doing that. And we'll do that together and then we'll sing uh, together, remind ourselves of the hope we have in Jesus. Would you quiet your body, quiet your mind. Uh-huh. God, we acknowledge that you are here, that you are always with your people that you'll never leave us, you've never forsaken us, God, and that when we are in you, you're with us, which means you're with us now. So God, as we look back on our last day, on our last week, God, would you show us the places that we were living in light of that promise and show us the places that we were not. And Lord, then as we look forward uh, to the days to come, uh, this, this kind of last sprint in the marathon of the Christmas season, Lord, would you fortify us with the hope that you will be with us and moving with us into that as well.
wait for it. There we go. Friends, in your waiting uh, and in the suffering and the pain of your waiting, uh, know that your Jesus is also suffering in his waiting. That our Savior who came as a baby, God come as a baby, who, who lived as a man, who died and was resurrected, is now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And that he went through that suffering to, to ensure that he would get what he wanted, which is you, his people, to bring you to himself. And even now, he is at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, waiting. Do you know that? That Jesus tell, has told us he is waiting for the day that he will be together with his people, that he is looking forward to the day when he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. And he is looking forward to it more than you are. So in the pain of the waiting of having a hungry, whole, humble heart, know that your Jesus is with you. And he is waiting for the day that he is with you in the new heavens and the new earth. And friends, that's why the promise is the hungry is filled, he is filled with good things, but the rich he has sent away empty. That we come to him desperate for him to fulfill his promises to us. And we hold on to those promises by faith. And so the invitation for this morning is whether you were coming to him by the first time by faith or for the hundredth time that you would come by faith and you would take hold of Jesus and take hold of his promises. So hear this benediction out of Hebrews 10, 23. Oh, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near.